8,563 stories. Yes, you heard that right. In just two years, Link NKY has written more than 8,000 stories about Northern Kentucky, and we want to write more for you. But we need your help. Please consider donating to our annual campaign to keep our reporters writing about these issues that matter to Northern Kentuckians. Visit linknky.com and click on the Donate tab today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mind Your Business, Northern Kentucky. I am Kenton Hornbeck, the business beat reporter at Lincoln KY here in Covington. As always, I'm joined alongside Lacey Starling, CEO of Lincoln KY. Lacey, how are we doing this Oh, week? it's so many mixed emotions, right? I'm, uh, I'm happy that it's sunny out, and I got to see the sunrise after I dropped my kid off at school this morning. And the Bengals won last night, or at least that's what I'm told. I didn't stay up to watch the game because daylight savings. But uh, Joey Votto is not coming back to the Reds as of right now. So just all sorts of mixed emotions on this lovely fall day. How are you? I'm good. Shout out to the Bengals. They played really well on the DeMar Hamlin anniversary game. I guess that's what I would call it. But it was a pretty... I I think so. (laughs) I don't know what else to uh, say about that. I mean, we all know what happened. But it was a pretty emotional game, I would say, for him, him, the Bills, the Bengals, the Bengals pretty much handled business and Joe Burrow looks pretty healthy. But on the other side, uh, my childhood is dying right in front of me. It's withering oh, away wow. and um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm not like lamenting that fact, but Joey Votto came into the league, Major League Baseball in I believe 2007. Mm-hmm. So I would have been... 10 years old at that point in time. I remember because I was a sports nerd kid going online, looking at like the Louisville bats website to see how he was playing and reading um, articles written by, you know, the inquirer or whatever reds bloggers there were talking about this great first base prospect that the reds had and the reds had never been good in my entire lifetime. And, you know, he comes in, he plays really well. A couple years later, he wins the MVP and he's been a fixture of my life and many other Reds fans for a very, very, very long time. And it's sad and emotional to see him go, but it's also it's good that he's able to um, move on you know, with dignity. The whole city rallied around him this past year. He didn't quite get this like Reds retirement tour, but I don't know if he would have wanted that. He doesn't seem like a guy that would field all these gifts and get all this kind of grandiose, you yeah. know, praise. I think he's just a guy and he likes playing baseball. So see Trent Rosencrantz, who covered the Reds for a long time here and then moved on to the athletic to cover the Reds. I follow him on Twitter and uh, Brian's going to hate this, my husband, because see Trent hasn't blocked. Um because I think my husband mouthed off about red stats at one point, but C Trent said that he did a, an interview with Joey on Saturday and Joey said, you know, yeah, I I didn't really want that, but it's funny. I moved to Cincinnati in 2007. That's when I moved here. And so I also never knew a reds team without Joey Votto because I didn't live here before and uh, had not experienced the Reds. So it is, I, I think that, um, you know, everyone was talking about the business decision. Obviously, Joey was not worth 
what his option was, right? Like there was, it made no business sense for the Reds to option him at his contract rate. I don't think anybody expected that. I think people expected that maybe they would offer him a couple million dollars to stick around or something like that, right? Some low amount of money. And, um, you know, a couple of people, like some of the inquirers, Reds folks were like, well, it just makes business sense. Like you have to be logical about this. And somebody else on Twitter replied like, yeah, I get that it's logical, but allow me to be sad about this. Allow me to have some emotion. And I think that's where we are as fans right now because he was here his entire career. And, you know, the Reds, the Reds never really got it together to give mm-hmm. Joey the, a playoff run, uh, you know, to win the pennant. Like it, it never happened. The team, they never built the team around him. I think that when he first started and was such a hot prospect and was doing so well that everybody thought was going to happen. And so there, there's, there's some sadness and I think some regret on the part of a lot of Reds fans to say, it, it just sort of never, he didn't get, he didn't get his ring, you know? And mm-hmm. when somebody is a part of the team for that long and was really, I think a first ballot hall of famer, they should have a ring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's part of the sadness too. <clears throat> I mean, and yeah, Joey didn't get his ring and neither did I and the rest of the Reds fans. And, you know, that's, <laughs> I yes. wanted a ring really bad too. It's true. Yes. Um, and, you know, maybe someday, you know, we have a pretty, pretty promising team. And that's yeah. one of the best things I think about this past mm-hmm. season and why it was one of my favorite red seasons ever, even if they didn't make the playoffs, is that it took it kind of combined eras for this new optimistic young Reds team with Joey Votto, who had been a staple for so long. And it was cool to see them. Joey, who I believe was 40 years old last mm-hmm. season, 39, 40. Ancient. Yeah, and he. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that in baseball it. terms, everyone <laughs> in baseball terms. But he was able to play alongside all of these young, exciting prospects and players like Matt McLean and Ellie De La Cruz and Encarnacion Strand. So it was, the eras were combining there, and it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And he really was the last person left from those early 2010s teams that gave Reds fans so much hope, 2010, 2012 specifically. So, Joey, we're going to miss you. But mm-hmm. I think we have some other news to talk about, Lacey. Specifically, yes, yeah, we it probably seems have like, some. <laughs> uh, it seems like a lot of restaurants have been closing around us lately. Have you got that same Yeah, sense? absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about this in the office the other day. You know, for restaurants, obviously the end of the year is often uh, gangbuster season, right? It's where you make your money because people are going out to eat and they're having holiday dinners and they're having people in town. But there's also this idea that if you are a restaurant tour and you see that your restaurant is not working, wouldn't you rather spend that time with your family? And I respect that too, right? So it is, it's a little unusual. We've seen three restaurant closings in the last week. Uh, Nomad, I'm going to forget one I know. So Nomad closed, which was over in Bellevue, correct? They were in Bellevue. And uh, Baker's Table, just the bakery in Newport. Baker's Table restaurant Mm -hmm. is still open, but the bakery that did pizza and had coffee and all that closed. And then the third one, what am I forgetting? What am I missing? McKay's Barbecue over on- Yeah, the one that's closest uh, to our office. Right near here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I really loved- Baker's Table Bakery. And actually, the and for everybody out there, full disclosure, my girlfriend and I were going to go there on, I believe, Sunday morning because we really liked the place. We've been there a couple times. 
And so we were like, yeah, let, like, let's go. This will be great. That was, we were making it our spot kind of. And oh, so we geez. show up there, pull up on the street and we're like, that's weird. Maybe they're just closed for today. And then she walks up to the door, reads the note. And she comes back to the car and she's like, uh, Kent, you're not going to like this uh, for your <laughs> job or uh, <laughs> this moment right now, but it's closed permanently. And I was like, oh, well, great. Uh, so that's what happened with that. And then uh, the other one that I was able to write about was McKay's and McKay's specifically, I actually had the opportunity to talk to the owner after the story was published Mm-hmm. And I didn't report or update the story in this fashion, but I, I'll speak on it a little bit here is he said it was just tough to find really consistent employees. And that's why they were able to or unable to uh, sustain their business there. But I do know that that property is a pretty hot commodity. And I talked with the building owner as well, and they are very close to signing a new lease on there. Oh, wow. So that's something I've been kind of following, but it won't be a barbecue place. And I don't have any information on what may move in there yet, but I am told that there's something uh, brewing on the horizon. Gotcha. Well, and and I get it, right? And Nomad, one of the things, because uh, Maggie McDonald, our digital editor, wrote the story on Nomad, you know, they didn't have a ton of indoor seating. So in the Northern Kentucky area, it's hard to have mostly outdoor seating um, in the months of, you know, November through late March, mid-April, depending on on how our spring is. And so that's tough. And, you know, I think everybody talks about rising food costs, which is an issue. I think finding staffing post-pandemic has been a struggle for lots of restaurants and folks in the service industry. And so, you know, it's economic pressure on top of, coming back from the pandemic and trying to sort out what that looks like. I want to be clear though. I mean, I think, you know, I I was reading an article in one of our competitors and they said a slew of restaurant closures and like three does not a slew make. And, you know, we've got some reporting that's going to happen this week about some other new places that are opening and other places popping up. And so I think what this is, is just, it's just the natural life cycle Yes. of businesses. And and so I don't want to point to some, I don't want to do one of those New York Times trend stories, right? <laughs> Where you take three things and you turn that into a trend. This, you know, it's it stinks when we like restaurants, like McKay's is, was delicious and Baker's Table and Nomad. And Nomad's open through the end of the month. So if you really want to get your Nomad mm-hmm. fix, you can get there through November 30th and, and still get your, your Nomad fix. But yeah, you know, you have your favorite joints and they don't always stay open and and that stinks, but it's not like I wouldn't say that the restaurant industry in Northern Kentucky is in any trouble at all. I just think that, you know, restaurants come and go and that's that's sort of the nature of the beast. I'd honestly just say it's a changing of the guard. That's kind of how I would Yeah, yeah, it. for sure. So, uh I want I want to drop in here that we're getting some more details on this, but for those of us who live in the Main Strauss neighborhood, some signs went up in the old bean house location on Maine. And it appears that, and stay tuned because Kenton will have an, a story on this later this week, but it appears that Kung food Amarasia is going to be opening a coffee shop in the old bean house location called Kung brew, at least according to the signs in the windows. And those of us in the main Strauss area are very excited about this because we don't have a coffee shop on this side of town right now. 
Yeah, I know. And when I stay over on uh, Fifth Street, it's always a little... There's Point Perk, but you can only have so much Point Perk. Obviously, you want to spread your money around to different coffee shops around the area. And I've always thought that Newport had a more robust scene of Mm -hmm. coffee than Covington does currently. So I'm very excited about this. And personally, and this is no... This is just Kenton speaking, not Kenton the reporter speaking, but <laughs> Ameriasia is my favorite restaurant in Covington specifically. I Ooh. go there all the time. I just literally made Singapore chicken noodles at home on Saturday because um, I was bored and that's my favorite thing they have there. So to see them opening up a coffee shop, A, I think it's good business. That's a good location, especially for Main Strauss. They've kind oh, of yeah. been lacking that since Bean House closed, but it's really, uh, it's really cool to see them expanding their enterprise in that way. So shout out to them. But yes, I'm reporting this out as yeah, speak. absolutely. And and Beanhouse didn't close in that location because of business pressures. There was health issues for the owner, which he publicized on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that that location couldn't be successful. But yeah, we you know it was such a shame because we had Spoon, which was in the River House building. And then Bean House. So we had two coffee shops on Main Street. And that was fantastic because they both did kind of different things and, you know, had had kind of different vibes. But we've I honestly we've really felt the lack of a coffee shop on this side of town. And I know that makes me sound super bougie, but, you know, sometimes on a Saturday or Sunday morning or even on a weekday morning, you just Mm want to walk down there and get a cup of coffee and not have to make it at home or maybe have a meeting someplace. And there's just, there's just not that many places to do that over here. Now I was laughing, Mark Payne, um, our former uh, politics and government reporter, and I were going to meet and he's not a drinker. And, and that wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't a time of day when I wanted to drink it. I'm like, well, we're going to go to a bar because those are the places that we can meet in Main Strauss and we'll just drink club sodas and that'll be fine because Bean House had closed by then. And I was like, well, that was my go-to. That was where I could meet (laughs) folks and not have to drink. And, uh, yeah, so I'm happy to hear about that. But then you also, the, uh, Northern Kentucky Chambers Women's Initiative Summit was last week as well at the, uh, ovation, correct? Yeah, and that was a lot of uh, a lot of fun to cover. It was really interesting because I first off, it was the first time I'd ever been in Megacorp Pavilion over at Ovation. So <laughs> love that it, hard thing, Megacorp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they have a big they have a big presence over there now, but um, the the name the name is just very amusing to me. I, I it, uh, it tickles it, everybody. I got I got to admit, I'm, that's probably why they chose it, Megacore. I like it. Yes, it sounds like I said. It sounds like like uh, Futurama. What was it, yes. Momcore or whatever it is, Momcore. <laughs> yes. One of those kind of like names. But anyway. So the Women's Initiative was last week, and I had the opportunity to go and cover it. And the main themes were empowerment and mentorship and networking. Mm-hmm. And I really want to focus on like the mentorship part of it, because that's what I wrote about. There was a lot of really good speakers um, at this event. But the, just the dynamic of, A, recruiting a mentor, if you are somebody who is seeking that kind of help, and then B, just the relationship or the dichotomy between the two, and how that differs from maybe a different kind of uh, professional relationship, specifically a business coach. Mm-hmm. You don't all the time maybe want your mentor to take a lot of time out of their day to coach you on things that would be better uh, taught 
by somebody like a business coach. Um, I feel like there's more of an interpersonal relationship between the mentor and the mentee rather than a strictly professional one between the business coach. And that's what um, these panels were kind of talking about. Jill Morenz uh, of Aviatra, she actually um, moderated one of them. And that's kind of what the speakers were talking about is just the differences, what it, what's appropriate and inappropriate to ask or teach in these kind of professional relationships. So I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, that kind of dynamic and just the women's summit in general. Oh yeah. I love the women's summit. I think it's a, it's a great event every year. I wasn't able to make it this year cause I had uh, other commitments on my calendar and I was super bummed because that facility is so fantastic. And the lineup of speakers was really great. Some friends of the show, Jill Morenz, Katrina Bowman, right? So just folks that I've really enjoyed hearing from and learning from, they always get a great lineup at the Women's Summit. But for me, the the mentorship thing is really, really important because I came up in industry in a time when I, I didn't enjoy a ton of mentorship. And part of that's on me for not asking for it. You know, uh, Sometimes I'm very Midwestern and I don't ever want to impose on folks. I still I still battle my Midwestern not wanting to impose on people. And what I didn't understand when I was younger that I understand now that I am older and in a position to do some mentoring. I still need mentored. I still have mentors for sure. But in a position to do some mentoring, it is, it's not a burden on a mentor. It's part of, I think, what we view when we've reached a certain point and we can sort of reach down and, and help other people up. It's, it's part of that wonderful give back that we can do. And I know that I've benefited so much, even in the last three years, from mentorship from some really great women in the community who have helped me navigate this new role. And it's just people you can call up and say, oh boy, I don't know how to handle this thing that's going on right now, or I'm feeling completely overwhelmed and I don't know what to do about it, right? So again, to that point of more personal stuff, I have an executive coach and I work on very specific things with her, right? And I also have mentors that I call up and say, okay, I'm struggling. Like this, this personally, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this or I'm facing this issue that I've not had to face before. So it does, it fills that need sort of between like, coach and therapist also have a therapist, right? So you have to have all these people in your life to help you sort of uh, advance in your career. And I always think of it as a way for me, if I'm mentoring somebody to help somebody not make the same mistakes that I've made and maybe move more quickly along that path. And so I just think that was a great topic for them to undertake and just to sort of open the door for women to, to ask for that kind of assistance. So I was, I was really thrilled to see that that was the topic this year. Yeah, and it was packed. The entire mm -hmm. venue was filled Always to the brim. Is. A yeah. huge audience. So there was a lot of a lot of women there that were anxious to hear um, that kind of uh, those kind of lessons. The other thing I want to hit on is uh, networking. Specifically, one anecdote that I wanted to share from one of the executive coaches that was speaking was just about complacency in networking, mm. and it's something I've thought about, and I'm maybe not starting to run into, but maybe more so down the road, I'll start feeling this way. But she told a story about how she was at a conference in North Carolina and there was a guy who was, who was, uh, it was kind of his job to network. He was one of community engagement, that kind of um, career vertical. And he knew everybody there and they were talking and he had been doing it for so long that 
he wasn't in out of his comfort zone anymore. He was mm-hmm. thoroughly in his comfort zone because he still was networking, but he wasn't meeting anybody new. He was just mm-hmm. kind of having conversations with people he had already met or worked with. And so breaking out of that and forcing yourself into a situation where you have to go and meet new people and continue expanding your network. I thought that was a really useful anecdote. So I, I, I made sure to include that in my uh, write up of what was going on, but yes, the breaking the complacency, you start out not knowing anybody and networking potentially, and then you mm-hmm. meet all these people, but then you want to continue to meet more people and not just continue to talk to the same one. So I, I thought that was a very useful. Uh, yeah, lesson. for sure. It's useful in journalism. It's useful in sales. It's useful in business. It's useful in career advancement. You know, uh, I know moving into this job, I've met a whole new group of people that I did not know before. And it is a little intimidating at times to walk into a room where you don't know as many people, but it also, uh, I like people. (laughs) So for me, I enjoy meeting new people. I like hearing their stories. It was one of my favorite things when I got to be a reporter that I got to ask people questions and learn about their stories. And so I try to try to do that wherever I can. Hopefully we'll get more deets on Kung Brew and you can share that with us. And Hopefully the Bengals will bring home another win on Sunday. They're playing the uh, Texans. Who are we playing on Sunday? Texans. That's right. And then the Ravens on Thursday. It's a short week, so we got we got a whole bunch of football happening mm-hmm. next week. That's for sure. So, all right, Kenton. Anything else for the good of the order? Nope. That's it. Thanks for uh, thanks for the conversation as always. The Mind Your Business podcast is sponsored by Payroll Partners. Northern Kentucky's leading provider of payroll and HR technology services offers a personalized little guy customer service model paired with UKG's HCM technology, the best of both worlds. Locally owned and headquartered in Fort Wright, Payroll Partners serves every client with accessible and personal customer service, whether you have one employee, hundreds, or thousands. Business owners, CFOs, and HR pros don't have time for hold times and hotlines. You need a partner payroll partners.